Hey everyone, my name's Brayden, and you're listening to A Questioning Faith, a podcast crafted to allow us all to ask hard questions about what we believe and how our beliefs shape us. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Remember to like and subscribe to all of our social media channels. The links will be in the show notes. All right, so this is our second episode of A Questioning Faith, and we are again exploring life through the lens of the book Enter Into My Rest uh, by John Thomas Fuller. And uh, the chapter that we'll begin with today, and we'll just see where it goes, is Here I Am, uh, maybe the longest chapter in the book, uh, a foundational chapter that paints the picture of John's formation, John's Christian formation. And I think this episode we'll call incipient faith based on that phrase that John used on page 38. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, the reason that I'm excited about this conversation today is what John experienced in the early 1980s is what millions and millions and millions of people are experiencing today. Um, hopelessness, meaninglessness. Uh, I was reading an article, there's been a number of articles in the past week about declining population trends. And Liz and Braden, you might remember this from, uh, from growing up. I know John does. Uh, when John's about 10 years older than I am. Uh, but when I was growing up, we had all of these doom and gloom forecasts about population explosion. And the world is no longer gonna be able to take care of the billions and billions of people. We've gotta get our population under control. The Chinese went so far as to limit the number of children that uh, the families could have today approximately 35 years after I graduated from high school, uh, after I was hearing those doom and gloom prophecies, it is looking like by the end of this century, the world population will be declining by up to 50%. We're looking at China, China losing 48% of its population by the year 2100. My kids, my daughter thinks it would be nice to have a child. My boys, none of them want children. Why would you bring children into a world that's so broken? Why would you bring kids into this mess? Uh, so, <laughs> I grew up not too far away from John in a little town uh, called Elburn, Illinois. <laughs> and it was the only income that the town had as to give people speed, speeding tickets. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to begin our conversation with, uh, with John's story. And I have to tell you all, when Eric and I were talking about this chapter a few weeks back, I asked him, can you tell what, about what city I'm writing? He nailed it. First time. 
so John is in Speed Trap America, population 2,000. Uh, community which had one church, five taverns, and a gas station. And a school, an elementary school, apparently, because uh, he hit rock bottom right there. And at the end of the day, fell asleep uh, next to a school and a janitor to give him money to call home. So this is what John going, is going through John's mind as he's hitchhiking uh, away from the house. Uh, I have been suicidal since puberty, at which time in my life hopelessness overtook me. Not that there weren't entertaining distractions, there were. Underlying the facade, however, were toxic levels of mind-clouding merc mind mercury. You grew up near Love's Canal, is that, is that about the area? You're talking to me? Uh, yeah. you know, it, it probably entered the uh, brain in upstate New York. There was a, it was a um, paper mill town. Paper mill, okay. Uh, and the absence of reason to endure this life. I had lived in such a way that I had done everything I could imagine doing. Perhaps I have a limited imagination. And not having been raised in the church, I felt no moral imperative not to commit suicide. The Cold War was winding down. In my internal relationship, internal relations since 1950s class, we discussed the millions of people who would be mere collateral damage during a nuclear attack, as if we were discussing going to Vegas for a week of indulgence. <laughs> Am I the only one that thinks this is a little insane? If they suddenly announced the Russians had launched a nuclear missile attack targeting the Midwest, I would walk to the edge of town and watch the sunset. How many times have my friends and I discussed this possibility? You know, a tricky dick's got his finger on the button one night during a drinking binge, he's going to let it all go. Uh, I was already headed for a nervous breakdown by the time I graduated college. Oh, 17 years of education, one college degree, and I didn't even know how to take care of myself. I was finished. I made the decision to end my life right there in Speed Trap, USA. I never actually thought about how I would do it, so I had to ponder this. I hadn't come prepared, as it were. Although my life on the street had taught me how to think on my feet. Unexpectedly, I heard a voice. It was Mary, the mother of Jesus. What would you feel if your younger brother did this, she asked. She knew how much I loved him. Knowing that there was nothing to lose and choosing to be as honest as I knew how, I answered, I, was, I would be very angry. Why? Her question neutralized me completely because I would know that he wasn't seeing all the options available to him. She challenged me in that moment to find the options in my life that I couldn't see. My shoulders slumped. I had to get back in the fight. Oh. The intense July, so John goes to meet a friend, uh, then writes, the intense July afternoon oozed into the future. Over and over, I tried to integrate all the loose ends into a coherent whole. My mother's violence, her death, my roommates, my education, current world events, apparent environmental collapse, 
my incipient, the incipient spirituality, which I was attempting to live out. And now Bible prophecy. I had no context for any of this. It overwhelmed me. On top of all of the confusion were so many toxic emotions, as well as my physical illness. I was a wreck inside and out. No joy, no love, no peace. I was completely and utterly broken. Then it happened. The Lord took me. I thought I was having a heart attack. So rapidly was it beating in my chest. The pain in my muscles and joints was excruciating. My roommates were arguing in the background while my friends looked anxiously into my eyes. What's the matter? Purple-tipped arrows of light pierced my mind as I was filled with his presence. A voice as gentle as a butterfly wings beat, beating, speaking out of my heart said, here I am. The light of his presence permeated everything around me. Everything was gone except the body that appeared like crystals of every color of the rainbow with purple circles of light surrounding the eyes. His presence was my only remaining link between materiality and spirit. The light was simultaneously rock solid, freezing cold and an all consuming fire. Every pain I had ever known, I experienced in that moment and at the same time, my eyes experienced the greatest possible pleasure. Everything was as, as if permeated by one solid block of living, frozen, eternal light. In that short epiphany, I understood what I had been missing. So, so much to talk about there. Uh, but I, I think, John, you have just so perfectly nailed what's happening in the world today. Uh, so where do we even begin? Um, I suppose the first question I have is, um, what was it that you understood? The existence of God the the only thing that helped me to make sense was that God is the rest of it dissolved into unimportance not that it didn't need my attention but quite literally knowing that God was there up until that time I had considered myself agnostic and so I was seeking but even in my even in my various researches into the different religions, I had no way of actually experientially understanding God. I don't know that I still do because, of course, you know uh, what I saw was, let's say, a, a small image of God's being. A reflection, perhaps, of God's being. It's the Job story. Job, angry, 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 wallowing in dirt, mud, pain, boils all over his skin. No meaning, no life. Uh, no meaning in life. And then God appears as a tornado, a whirlwind, and speaks out of it. And ultimately, Job says, just to know you are real is everything I ever needed. 
good scripture. I was just thinking about kind of that difference between knowing that God exists, like having experiences in your life that whether you can put those experiences into words that other people can comprehend, understand, believe, any of those things. John, you, and Eric, you, and Liz, you, and Braden, you, I've had, we've had experiences where we know that God exists. It's, we've, we've gone past this believing in God to we know God exists. And I think, you know, this is, John, this whole book is just stories of you saying, I know God exists. I know it. You do too. Let's explore. How do you know God exists? Let's, but it's not what do, it, the, this conversation isn't so much. What do you believe about God? This conversation is how do you know God exists? What are your experiences? That's why I was so taken with John's phrase, incipient faith, because that word incipient uh, means beginning, only partially developed, imperfectly formed. Uh, it's where so many of us spend so much of our lives. That's where I was until I was 38 years old and I had a total breakdown. Uh, went to church because Brenda told me to, my wife told me to. <laughs> gave a lot of money to the church. But ultimately, I gave that money to the church because... Uh, I wanted to be the person who gave the most money to the church. It was mm. a, it was a status symbol. Uh, it had nothing to do with my need to give to God. It had everything about a status symbol. Um, and uh, oh, did did my life turn around when I hit rock bottom? Uh, and I I don't know why it is that we so many of us have to hit rock bottom before <laughs> we wake up before that incipient faith begins to gel into a, uh, a living faith. But Braden, I think you nailed it. That, that, that's the core of John's book. Is, and that's what this 42-stage journey is. May I throw out a little bit here? The, uh, in response to the stories, it was, it was um, fairly difficult, actually, to pick what events I was going to document. There are a couple in there, obviously, the chapter you're reading, and then there are other chapters further on in the book that were no-brainers. They had to be included. And what I was striving to do was get one story that would speak to each person so that the people who pick up the book might say, okay, and identify with that story. And one of the things, this discussion, Eric, if we have the time, is just to hear Braden and Liz um, share an experience of how they know God. And you and I have talked, but maybe you could share with us how you know God. And yes, when you had your breakdown, I'm kind of curious. And the reason I say that is we discussed it last time. Most people are very private and don't talk about those events. But everybody I talk to has that experience. 
they may not have the context intellectually to grasp it, but everybody I talk to has something. Mm. If you guys don't mind sharing, I would be truly grateful to hear some stories if we have the time. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, hmm, okay, I'll start with this one. I, last September, I also experienced a massive breakdown. Um, was ready to take my life. My wife came to my rescue literally. Um, and I spent three days in the hospital and that was a terrifying place to be for me alone in the hospital with my thoughts for three days and not exactly the best food. (laughs) (laughs) But it was during those three days that was I'm I'm beginning to recognize that that was me coming out of the wilderness. That wasn't my wilderness. That wasn't that was me coming out of the wilderness. And it has it's it's put things in perspective for me. It's put my life in perspective for me. It's put um, the gifts of my life the multiple gifts of my life in perspective in ways that I, I didn't have before. Um, and so I'm open to it. I've always been uh, talking about the difference between belief and knowing. I've always believed that there's something bigger than me there. It's there. I may not have, always known it but I've always believed it Hmm. and if I go back and I'm working on that now if I go back through my life I'm sure I can re-identify some times where God poked his poked the finger right into my little existence and said hey (laughs) wake up and I didn't listen Um, but being more aware of it in November, I was asked to preach for Eric because he was going to be gone. And so it's November. So obviously we're talking about Thanksgiving. We were right close to it. I think it was the Sunday right before Thanksgiving. And so I was, I was going to be talking about um, giving thanks and giving thanks in all circumstances, no matter what happens. And, and then what happened to me as I'm trying to plan a sermon and and have a bunch of thoughts to share with the community on being thankful for everything. But that Friday night, my mom got diagnosed with COVID. And I was, again, just terrified because we watch the news. We said, you know, we know people from our congregation that have passed away and it seemed like a real possibility. Um, so that Friday night, I, I, I'm, I'm standing in my bedroom and I say out loud, how am I supposed to give thanks in this? How am I supposed to go and preach thankfulness with this? And 
And then I was moved to my bed, sat down, and began meditating, which is something that every once in a while I start, I meditate on my own, but it wasn't, it hadn't been a practice of mine for a while. And it just, I had to sit down and meditate. So I did, I closed my eyes, focused in on my breathing, tried to just let transient thoughts be transient thoughts. And then all of a sudden the question popped in my head again, how am I supposed to give thanks even in this? And then immediately there was a voice that was me, but not me that said, breathe. Breathe. And every time I tried to fight it, every time I tried to wiggle away from, yeah, but how do, but breathe. That clear. Breathe. That's how. And so when I start asking that question now, how do I give thanks even in this? I just did like that was the that was the sermon that I that was the landing point for that sermon that Sunday was how do we give thanks even with all of the garbage that's going on you did you don't have to ask the question you already gave thanks you kept breathing you kept going forward you gave thanks that was brilliant <laughs> It wasn't me. You have my heart. Oh, that is so beautiful. Um, Paul Tillich was um, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, we had celebrity pastors, celebrity theologians, not celebrity pastors, celebrity theologians. And Paul Tillich was one of them. People that were shaping the way we understood God in America. And he was on the cover of Time Magazine because he made such a huge impact in society. And the world was trying to figure out where was God coming out of the mess of World War I and World War II. And so this, these were huge, important conversations. And Paul Tillich wrote a book called The Courage to Be. And he summarizes the courage to be with the courage to take one more step when we don't think we have the energy to do it, the courage not to kill ourselves, the courage to step into this mess is the proof of God in our lives because it's so easy to give up. Who in their right mind wouldn't give up is what Tillich's message is. It's the courage to be. And I think that is exactly what God gave you, Brady. Yeah. Breathe. Breathe. One more step. Breathe. Yeah. And so that has kind of been my focus over the last few months is, and, and Eric, you've been mentoring me through some of these things, but just what's the next step? Don't focus on the, what if this happens? Don't focus on the, 
what if I did this differently? What if it's just what's next? What's the next thing? What's the next best thing that we can do? And then let's go do it. Let's figure out how to do it and step out and just go. Cause we know God's there. We know God's not letting us down. God hasn't before God won't in the future. The universe is good. Amen. I like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. I don't know what it is with, you know, people having kids later in life and then also like finding the new relationship with Jesus. But I kind of find that um, in common with some people lately. Um, um, I feel like I've known God known God for a long time, like not, not anything too intimate, you know, just knowing that God's there going through the motions. Like a lot of people I know, um, doing the thing that we're supposed to do because that's what we're taught. We go to church. My dad always made us wear dresses. So it's one of the things I despised about going to church, but, um, <laughs> we were raised by my dad. So it's like, dad, oh, be grateful. You're not, be grateful. You're not my age. <laughs> the females had to wear veils and gloves and shoes on top of it, not just the Oh, dress. my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I have so many memories of skinning, like, my knees in the parking lot from these dresses just playing around so hard. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I feel like I was only given or only experienced. This is very emotional. This is crazy. Um, just that little bit of God to just kind of get you through. Um, now when I went off to college, at Chico state in Northern California, I don't feel like I brought God with me. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't go to church. I didn't really associate with anybody. It was all about sports and school and party and, um, and then, uh, it, it really wasn't until, um, I started going to a, a big non-denom church in uh, in Los Angeles called the Oasis, um, and it it helped me to want to. It gave me that 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 servant's heart to just I want to volunteer. It's one of those churches that you just want to be a part of it, and you want to write down every single word that the pastor is saying. At the same time, I felt so small there, um, you know, that I I would never get to know that pastor. And that's, and I was really interested in ministry. Um, I went into an intern program with that church, um, and ended up when God wants you to move, you go. So I was actually, um, in my prior, in my, my, at my job that time, uh, up for a position in Canada. And I got that. So I basically was plucked out of California in Canada, um, in April, I've never driven in snow. Um, <laughs> still not that great at yeah, it. I, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I, I, it was me and a team of three other people, and I spent so much time um, with God. And I, it, it literally took me being plucked away from my family, my friends, my job, everything that I knew. Um, and, uh, and there were some crazy uh, just temptation things that happened. And I was just like, yeah, no. And, uh, I just knew that, that, that relationship that I was, you know, 
creating what um, would be uh, would just become something bigger. But then, of course, that falls to the wayside as life goes on. And uh, then God plucked me from California and took me to Grand Island, Nebraska. So which here I am with Brayden and I worked in a church uh, doing the children's ministry and I love doing that, but I, I just did it for as a job. I, I didn't have the relationship that I know I have with God now. And, and that, that breaking point was, um, it was with Brayden, um, trying to kill himself. Um, you know, flat, flash, flash forward to now, uh, last year, Braden and I were singing with our new pastor, Eric and his three churches and just kind of felt chaotic. And I'm, I'm working a job that just creates more anxiety for me. So, um, Braden, you know, was in the hospital. Uh, I, my anxiety was just out of control. I, I already had anxiety already on medication for it. And my husband tries to take his life and I'm the one that pulls up in the car to stop him from driving and crashing. And I just was shaking. I wasn't, I wasn't myself. And I had talked to a therapist and they said, yeah, you have, you have a traumatic, um, you've had a, a, a trauma with witnessing this. And, um, so I've been, so I saw a therapist and, um, I know God is real. I know, I know God because God saved our lives. Um, God put us in the, in the, in the right place because yeah, and God had more faith in us than we did in ourselves, you know? And so I know that God's working right now because a couple months ago, we wouldn't be able to have these conversations with you. We wouldn't be able to give ourselves to the church as we are right now to the community. Um, we've been walking this walk and uh, amazing things that God has shown us that we have inside ourselves that we never, we never gave us the second thought to because we didn't think that we were good enough. Hmm. And so in learning more about God and, and the love that God has for us and the, just the amazing things where we're going and the possibilities. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty, but it's sure, it's sure easier to go through it with the support, um, with learning and, and developing this relationship with God even more. And, um, and then I'm really excited to share that with children because I, gosh, I sure wish what I know now in this last couple months, I, I knew as a child, I think that would have changed my relationship completely. And, um, and I, I want kids to, to have that, that new life experience, that new life relationship with God, not this, not this one that we just throw in the Sunday school, you know, papers and, and we just teach the same thing. Um, and so it, back to where we first started in a world where it's crazy. And why would you want to have kids? Because it's a piece of yourself that you're giving. And it's, um, I don't know what's going to happen in the world, but I'm, I'm sure going to try. I'm, I'm going to see what happens. And uh, I think becoming a mother was one of the best things that ever happened to me. So 
And I see, I see God in my kids mm. every day. I look in their eyes and I see them and uh, just the little things that they say and the lessons that they're teaching us. Eric is using them as examples. We use them as examples. We learn so much from these little kids. So they are full of, they're full of God, you know, and then it's just peeled away as life goes on and, Thank you. Thank you for sharing your heart. I'm very, very humbled here. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, it's very vulnerable, but it's, if I don't share any of this, then how can I help anybody else? Or how can anybody else believe that I went through something? I really went through something and I came out okay. I, I really loved what you said about... God actually has more faith in us than we have ourselves. And I have tried in the book to put out there, I've tried to uh, push the envelope a little bit. There are some stories that I have not put in there, but even in little things, um, but we are so much more than what we give ourselves credit for. And I like that God will lead us to discover those things as we go. We don't have to know any of it up here. Mental knowledge is oftentimes a barrier. Um, so I appreciate what you said about that. That was right on. Thank you. A, a biblical perspective on that is the story of Jesus walking on the water and calling Peter out of the boat. We, a lot of times when we hear that story on Sunday mornings, we focus on Jesus on the water. I think we missed the point of that story. Jesus called Peter out of the boat and Peter was on the water, just like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And when did, when did Peter start to falter? When Peter looked down at his own feet and saw his own feet on the water and said, oh, I can't do this. And Jesus said, but you did it. You did it. Why should we have kids? Can I, can I offer a quote that I found this week from Albert Einstein? Our death is not an end if we can live on in our children and the younger generation. For they are us. Our bodies are only wilted leaves on the tree of life. <laughs> it's beautiful. And Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. We're all wow. leaves on the tree of life. Oh, you have such a gift at pulling that together, Brady. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. That's beautiful. that vulnerability that you two are practicing is life-giving. It is the source of life. And if we aren't vulnerable, if we don't have people with whom we feel safe enough to be vulnerable, uh, then I think we start ending, we start in a downward spiral um, that is defined by broken relationships, lack of relationships, fear of the other, fear of other people, 
Um, and we go inside and it just gets worse. And we build this wall around ourselves and um, you, you get trapped and you can't get out. Um, and the, the only way out of that, uh, that isolation, those chains is vulnerability. And that also happens to be biblical, humility, uh, the least, serving, giving, um, not having to try to be what society defines us as, uh, but just to be open and honest and vulnerable. Now that's life-giving. So you two offered um, the perspective, all three of you have offered the, uh, the perspective of how could God love me? How could God deal with this mess that I am, right? So John writes on page 39, it took months for me to process the experience for which I had no intellectual foundation. I'd had it in my mind that God was completely and utterly transcendent and that only truly, truly, truly worthy by virtue of their right and, and that only the truly, truly, truly worthy by virtue of their righteous behavior could ever hope to experience God's presence. And if anybody were unworthy, it was I. My life since puberty had been spent breaking all 613 laws in the Old Testament. <laughs> what I actually hadn't done, I thought about doing. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> I ought to have been stoned to death several times over. I struggled to reconcile my concept of a punishing God with this one who had spoken so kindly to me in my heart. I struggled with a God who in God's being never judged me. In that moment, I resolved to deny myself and take up my cross and follow him. I wanted, I want to say one thing about the last line there. It is the most trite line in the world, but it is absolutely what I said to myself in my head. Just so you know. Isn't it weird how sometimes those very trite isms that we have, as much as we when we're aware of how misused they can be. When we actually find those moments that, oh man, that's, it, those are the words that, that's what that actually means. When we find those moments, those are the moments that we find God. Those are the moments where we go, oh, wow. So and sometimes that I took up my cross language. Yeah, it's it's hard for people to digest because it, it has been abused and misused and misquoted and and things like that by people who missed the mark with it. So and we're all guilty of that sometimes. Brayden, I want to take us back to our last conversation, uh, the 42-stage journey. Uh, that decision to pick up the cross is not entering into the promised land. That decision to pick up the cross is only the beginning of the journey. Mm -hmm. just, just to paraphrase what you were saying, because I know John's story. 
<laughs> and there is, uh, John, have you ever been a member of a church? I've never been a member of a church. I've attended numerous churches over the years, Catholic and Protestant. And there were some churches I attended where membership was mandatory. And uh, as one of my friends said, that's not biblical. Um, and it's, I'm not opposed to being a member of a church. I have prayed about what church to join and for whatever reason, the church to which I belong is the more um, the more general assembly of believers. I think that that is the real church. We have a church going on right now with four people, and that is the church to which I belong. Hmm. So ultimately, yeah, ultimately, that's what Braden and Liz and I have been imagining. And that's why we're doing this podcast. Uh, because we don't see the church as a building or even a select group of people who joined in membership. But people who are learning, are seeking, who are knocking on the door, who are trying to build that faith from being incipient to being solid. Uh, and so... Why the reason why I asked John that question is because I, from that point forward, John began to learn what it meant to be in relationship with God, what it meant to follow Jesus. And John, you tried all kinds of different things from asceticism, incredible asceticism. If I own anything that I'm not following Jesus, and I know that you now look back on those times and think, ah, what was I doing? You know, but there were formation times, right? I had to go through it. Mm -hmm. I I have to say one of the major reason for one of the major reasons for going that route was I knew the corruption in my heart. And I knew that I couldn't trust my heart. And since I did not have a foundation never having taken any kind of catechism from any religion of any kind, I literally had to recreate my mind. And so I got rid of everything and uh, started from scratch. You're describing metanoia. So Jesus announces his ministry in uh, Gospel of Mark, he stands up in front of the, the people and says, Euangelion, uh, uh, good news, good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Metanoia and enter the kingdom. Uh, change the way you think. How do we change the way we think? How do we get rid of all of the baggage in, with which we've been encumbered, uh, enchained, uh, enslaved to? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if there is one answer, but I think this conversation is a way to work through some of that. There are so many, so many people who believe in a God that just isn't real. It's this straw man that 
evangelical Christianity has created um, a, a God of rules and anger and hatred and judgment that just isn't the God that the four of us have experienced. The God that'll scare the hell out of you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, do you know how you make holy water? Oh. You boil the hell out of it. <laughs> oh man yeah there has been I, I don't have enough fingers and toes to tell you the stories of people that I've heard and experienced and walked through of ways that the institutional church or the historic church or the way the church has been, has been little more than harmful. Um, you know, uh, along this line, and it is not in judgment of any church, this is a true statement of fact I knew, I know a young woman in her 20s who was raised in the church. And she was, uh, at the time when she was in my life as a, a co-worker, out there, you know, doing everything that young people tend to do in abundance. I mean, this we're, we're talking about going for the record here. And, <laughs> We talked to her about her lifestyle choices because ultimately it was a path of extreme self-destruction. And her response was, her takeaway from all her years of church was, I'm going to hell anyway. Why should I try? Mm -hmm. That's the wrong message. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And that's that what I love hopeless. so much about John and John's experience and your and just your life story is that you you were doing all those things you were breaking oh totally and, oh totally and, and was God over here going well when you straighten up your act and you can come on but I'm just gonna you know no no God we even in even in the terrible situations God's still right there and I think that's the message that we have to blast out for people you know, it's okay just come as you are come as you are absolutely and when I had the most recent near-death experience you know and you would think after almost 40 years of walking with God consciously intentionally mm -hmm. I would get the depth of his love for any of us I was there in that place and the love, I mean, I could barely speak after coming back from that experience because the love of God overwhelmed me and all of those people overwhelmed me. Jesus was there and Mary was there and St. Michael was there. My sister was there and that love overwhelmed me because I in my little mind, couldn't even fathom one person loving me this much, let alone 
um, without reservation, period. I don't know what the fear is. I don't know what the, uh, the motivation is. Uh, I can guess uh, when people grow up in a system, um, call it a cult, in which you are told to believe this way or you can't be part of the group. I think that's a definition of a cult, right? <laughs> pretty, pretty close. <laughs> Works for me. Uh, we've got, you know, we, we have so many Christian cults. There are so many Muslim cults. There are so many Jewish cults. Uh, groups of people who say you can't be part of our group if you don't believe what we believe. You're, in fact, uh, it's not even us that hate you if you don't believe what we believe. It's God that hates you. And God will torture you for eternity if you don't believe what we believe. Oh, who wants to be a part of that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe in that God either. Exactly, exactly. Where, where is the God of the Bible in that? Uh, John introduced me to a, a fabulous book. Uh, that So if, if there was a place to start, maybe our listeners might be thinking, okay, I want this. I want this experience. Um, if there was a place to start, where do I start? Um, see if you can find uh, Rabbi Zelig Pliskin. Uh, John, what's the, what's, do you remember the exact name of the? The English title is Love Your Neighbor. Love Your Neighbor, that's right. Um, it is a walk through the Hebrew Bible. Uh, on a like a, uh, a snippet by snippet, devotional by devotional, experience by experience basis. So you can read a couple of the stories a night, a couple great way to start the day. And it shows beyond, uh, it shows the depth of the Jewish tradition that love is the absolute only thing that God is. And the God is simply an outpouring of love and that we are, invited into that love by loving our neighbor. And what does that look like? Well, then that's what the whole book is, what that looks like through the lens of, of rabbis and people who have done it. Great way to, to begin trying to understand who God is and how God is, uh, and a way to begin to understand the Bible, because it is the Bible from a beginner's standpoint is terrifying. How do I understand this? Uh, and ultimately, that's one of the reasons why I asked John about, have you ever been a member of a church? Well, I, I know you, you haven't been, but you have gone on a deep intellectual journey studying. How could this God be? Who is this God? And for many people, it's the church where that study begins, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, we live in a world of incredible resources and podcasts and books and uh, and I don't think there's a right place to start as long as we start. And we pray and we ask God to guide us in our, in our, uh, in our seeking. My experience is that God has, has guided us. So some of those books up there, um, I began reading. I'm a book nerd. So I began reading 1800s. I wanted to see what, so some of the great, writers uh, of the last couple hundred years thought about God. And so this is uh, 
the Gospel of John written in 1919, the Gospel According to St. John by B.F. Westcott. Uh, <laughs> I read the whole darn book, highlighted and highlighted, read the footnotes, and those footnotes led me to uh, uh, the life and times of Jesus, the Messiah, uh, the mystical elements of religion. I've I'm no longer uh, necessarily following what these authors wrote, but it was my starting point. Moved me into newer perspectives. Um, just start. <laughs> Whoever you are, wherever you are, just start and invite God to teach you and guide you. It's more about willingness and openness than anything. Be open and and willing to hear God, however God comes to you. And the thing that I've learned the most is, again, as trite as it sounds, expect the unexpected. Mm. When you, when I begin to say, God, I want you to talk to me this way at this time and say these words so I know you're there, that's usually when it stops happening. But when I am just saying, God, let me see you. Let me see you. Let me hear you. Say something. Let me be open enough to it. Never fails. And what I like about that statement is, uh, what does God tell Moses when Moses asks to see a vision of him? God doesn't say, oh, no, I'm not going to. God says, get in the cave, turn your back, and I'll let you see my back. You know, I'll cover up your eyes until you can see my back. I think that that is how we should look at God. He wants to communicate to us. Whatever gender we identify with God, God wants to communicate with us. So setting a time and place for that communication is a wonderful way to start to. Uh, and I'm thinking Sabbath time. We don't we don't do a very good job of setting this setting a time, a sacred time, a set apart. Sacred just means set apart. Uh, set apart for God. Uh, to set a sacred time in our lives in which we say, God, of all of the things that I could be doing today, I choose just to sit with you. And it might be breathing. It just might be sitting and breathing and doing what Braden did, trying to calm his mind and not let the thoughts race away, but just maybe uh, one of the great uh, ways of meditation uh, from the, the uh, one of the traditional Hebrew or Jewish ways of meditating is to close your eyes, uh, say, God, of all of the things that I could be doing, I give this time to you. I just want to rest with you in your presence. And then as a way to center the mind, because uh, we truly have monkey minds, you know, all of these thoughts come tearing at us. Um, some of the rabbis taught to imagine the letters of the alphabet in gold big golden alphabet letters in the center of your mind and, and slowly picture A, B, C, 
and just, um, and then if something distracts you, don't get angry uh, because that'll happen. Uh, just uh, say, God, I'm coming back to you. So last week we talked about Thomas Keating, uh, a little bit about Thomas Keating teaching on centering prayer. And one of, he was teaching uh, at, a, uh, at a convent and one of the nuns got so frustrated. Uh, she said, oh, I'll never get this, Father. I'll never get this. My mind, uh, I had 200 thoughts in 20 minutes. I just can't get my mind to stop. And Thomas said, uh, well, that's good news. That's 200 opportunities for you to return to Christ. Uh, <laughs> So, and I think that's part of, I've been thinking about that all week. I, uh, John and I were reading a book together called The Wisdom Jesus. And I think that was one of the anecdotes in that book. And um, uh, I've been thinking about that as more than just a meditation technique, but it's our life. It's this 42 stage journey. Every time we mess up, wow. Oh, we don't beat ourselves up. It's just an opportunity, another gift, an opportunity for me to return to Christ. Um, now, the Apostle Paul would say, does that mean I should purposely mess up? Well, of course not. <laughs> of course not. But we shouldn't beat ourselves up. I mean, if if God loves John enough after breaking all 600. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> there is no fear in love that's the that's been popping into my head over and over there's no fear in love we don't have to be afraid of not being loved enough because god is love yeah the universe is at its core good we are loved we don't have to be afraid we don't have to be frightened of the things that we don't understand yet just accept the gift and don't fear brokenness mm -hmm. it allows space for God to get in between the cracks amen I agree yeah well, I think that's probably a beautiful <laughs> that was it yeah we'd go try so until next time, uh, we'll hit the uh, the pause button, and you guys have a fabulous, fabulous rest of the the Friday and a wonderful weekend. Uh, I love you guys. I love you more. Guys, love you all. Great. Thanks for thanks for joining me. Amen. Thank you, Anytime, John. John. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. It's good seeing you. Good to see me you too. too. Bye. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to rate, review, follow, and like us from wherever you might be listening. On our next episode, John is back to continue discussing his book, Enter Into My Rest, The Mystery of Living and Dying Revealed. You can find more information about his book at the website www.enterintomyrest.com. That's www.enterintomyrest.com. Dot com.